So, Paulette, I have an email here from a patron writing about addictive personality. Would you like to hear it? Yes. I'm kind of scared, though. So, patron Amelie, she writes in and she says, I am writing today because I have been addicted to various things my whole life, such as relationships, shopping, food, weed, etc. I was wondering if you could do an episode on addictive personalities from someone who is addicted to your podcasts. Ha ha, ha ha, thanks. So, let's let's get into addictive personality. What do you say? Uh, a little too close to home. <laughs> this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm Paula Perach, a writer and American layperson. So, addictive personality, is this term used in my field, do you think? Is it is it a term that's used in the clinical world? Probably not, because everything I know is a lie when you... <laughs> whenever I ask a question such as yeah, that. Yeah, whenever I think I know something about psychology, you're like, that's a myth, that's a lie. Well, you, well you've learned, Padawan. It's, it's, <laughs> you're right. It's not, it's a ter- addictive personality is not a term what? used in my field at all, <sighs> aside from some research, but... Clinically speaking, addictive personality is a term used by uh, lay people. Um, let me ask you another question. Is addiction a disorder in the DSM? I have the... the DSM-5000? <laughs> DSM-5 in front of me. Is addiction a disorder in the DSM? Oh, God, I would think so. Yeah, but it's not. <sighs> they, don't, they don't use the word addiction uh, for a number of reasons, uh, they use the word alcohol use disorder or cannabis use disorder. Yeah. So it's basically like problematic use, not because the, cause but the, did they have it for everything? It can be like shopping use disorder, sex use disorder. You can have compulsions and you, I, I did they include gambling? I, I know there was a, there was a, uh, uh, a hope to get gam, but the chapter on substance use is called substance use. Uh, substance-related and addictive disorders. So the word addic- addiction is used in the chapter title, but none of the d- disorders actually use the word addiction because the word addiction is is a is a complicated topic, mm-hmm. you know. And in the clinical world, we tend to uh, over the years have tried to avoid that word for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. But okay, so but what is the definition in our? Well, let me let me say before moving on what the alcohol use disorder or other kinds, how they define that. They define it in the DSM, for instance, alcohol use disorder, a problematic pattern of alcohol use leading to clinically significant impairment or distress as manifested by at least two of the following occurring within the 12, a 12 month period. So they have 11 different criteria. So if you just meet two of these, you have at least a mild case of alcohol use disorder. So one, alcohol is often taken in larger amounts or longer or over a longer period than was intended. Uh, two, there's a persistent desire to cut down, but you can't, but that uh, you're not successful. You spend a lot of time related to alcohol. You have cravings. You uh, recurrent alcohol use resulting in the failure of obligations. Uh, continued use despite having problems. There's impairment you use when you're in situations when it's not really good for you. You continue to use even though you continue to have problems, you have tolerance, or you have withdrawal symptoms. So it's pretty easy in DSM-5 actually to meet the minimum threshold of alcohol use disorder. I mean, how many people have drank 
alcohol in greater amounts than they intended. Yeah. But I think the rest of those points are really, they're pretty much what I would expect. Yeah. And, and I would say that I agree with those. Okay. Right. So, so they define that as alcohol use disorder. There's also uh, uh, disorders, alcohol intoxication, alcohol withdrawal, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, okay. So what's the definition of addictive personality in our culture? Since it's a cultural term, what is the definition? I think, and I consider myself to have an addictive personality. And for me, it's kind of when you latch onto something and have a compulsion to keep doing it over and over. And the first thing that I remember this feeling about is playing with fire. Oh, really? When I was little, I could not stop playing with fire. And my best friend's dad kept catching us playing with fire. And he said, if I catch you again, I'm going to take you and you're going to volunteer in the burn unit at the hospital. And I was horrified and so scared that that was going to actually happen. But I still played with fire and like could not stop. I was totally addicted to it. And it kind of makes me laugh now, you know, but it was this compulsion to keep doing this dangerous thing, you know. Why did you do it? Did it feel good? I just was like, I don't even know how to describe it. It just, it did just feel like an addiction. Like I gotta, I just want to keep playing with this fascinating thing, you know, and. But it was, was it because you felt good when you did it or it felt good to rebel or it was, you know, what was the reason? I think, you know, I just watched this Chelsea Handler show. Have you been watching that at all? Yeah. And she says, like, I just like being bad and doing bad things. Okay. And that's kind of, I've always liked to just be bad and do bad things. So if it was not bad to play with fire, you would not have cared so much about it? Maybe, but it's hard to know because, you know, I think we're probably as humans, like, fascinated by fire in general. Yeah. I wish maybe adults would, like, take kids out back and be like, here's... Here's about fire. Like, yeah. you know, we want to keep kids completely away from it, but it's such a interest. You know, it's like a lot of things when you're growing up and there's this powerful thing that you're not allowed to touch. It just makes you want to touch mess it. with it more. Yeah, totally. We, we did that all the time with like firecrackers and stuff. And, you know, it was, I feel like I probably set more fires before the age of 10 than I ever did after 10. Okay. So, okay. So you're saying that the, the cultural definition of addictive personality is someone who has a higher rate of becoming obsessed or compulsive about a particular activity. Yeah, someone who exhibits those behaviors around multiple things throughout their lives. Multiple things. Yeah. Not just one thing. Not just one thing. So it has to be like several several different individual compulsions. I think most people would agree with that definition. If you went around and asked people like what's an addictive personality. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what uh, I would say. People will refer to it as someone who has a, has a history of a variety of addictions mm-hmm. like cigarettes or pot or gambling or sex or relationships. They, they can, you know, recall several bouts of ind- and, and seemingly unrelated active, you know, if you were addicted to cocaine and then crack and then, you know, meth, mm-hmm. you know, those are all in the same category. But if you're addicted to gambling and then to shopping and then to alcohol and then to caffeine and then to hiking and then 
exercising and the, you know it's like then we start getting into what our culture would define as someone who has an addictive personality um da, da, da. it's like taking things to extremes yeah right so there are some people in my field who actually will research what we call addictive personality they don't call it addictive personality the the word personality is actually used in the lay public in, in, a, in a way that's really quite different in the clinical world. So, but they will try to discern and discover what personality traits or what factors in someone's, uh, among their characteristics that might lead to uh, a more, uh, someone to be more susceptible to any kind of addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, why would they want to study that, do you think? Because it's a big problem. <laughs> yeah, but why? Why would why would knowing information about addictive personality help the help us as a public? I mean, I think knowing the more knowledge you can gain about quote your enemy, the better. Yeah. You know, the more you know about how it functions, maybe yeah. you can put a stop to it in some way. Yeah, exactly. What percentage of people in the U.S. have what researchers might refer to as an addictive personality, do you think? What? 20. Close, 15. All right. I'd say that's, that's, a, that's a right answer, 20. It's pretty close. Research suggests that 15% of the U.S. population has what we might call an addictive personality. That's a lot of people. It's yeah. a lot of people. Now, that isn't to say that only 15% of people suffer from addictions. It's more than that that suffer from some addiction in their life. Mm -hmm. It's 15% of people that suffer, that have personality traits that lead them to suffer from many addictions throughout their life. Yeah, like if you start using, you don't have to have an addictive personality to get addicted to heroin or something, you know? Right. Now, as a caveat, some assert that there's no such thing as an addictive personality in my field. The, The reason why they'll say this is because they'll say, look, anyone can become an addict under the right circumstances. So why would you identify some people as having a personality that predetermines that they're going to have an addiction when, when anyone can have an addiction? Well, I think it's good to know that there's, for example, there's a high rate of addiction in your family, you know, or you're kind of predisposed to addictions to kind of watch out. Right. It can help. It can help us. But what it, what it, but what it implies is there are people who do not have an addictive personality Mm -hmm. and therefore do not have to watch out for addiction in their life. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with people that assert that there's no such thing as an addictive personality. Um, I understand why that they will, uh, attack it. You know, if, if we say, there's an addictive personality, then we're kind of stigmatizing people with addiction. We're saying, well, there's something wrong with them, which, you know, we should just try to get rid of stigma in that way. Also, there are some people that will say, well, I'm not one of those people, so therefore I'm not an addict. And so people can go into denial because they'll say, I don't have an addictive personality, but yeah, I mean, I drink alcohol a lot, but but I don't have an addictive personality, so therefore I'm not an addict, and it can help someone to stay in denial. And again, uh, the solution to that is just to help that person not be in denial. Okay, so what are the factors that lead to the development of an addictive personality? You mentioned one, genetics, mm-hmm. which is true. There's some research that suggests that addictive personality traits are heritable. Mm-hmm. What are the personality traits associated with addictive personality? having a good time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, impulsive. Well, okay. Impulsive. Good. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's great. But having a good time is actually 
related. How might you describe that, having a good time? I don't know. Well, in the clinical world, they describe it as sensation-seeking. Oh, wow. So That's very me. Is it? <laughs> yeah. How do you know? Uh, because I listen to like spiritual talks about, you know, always seeking the next, the next new, like even foods, the next new flavor, the next new experience, traveling and, uh, these things that, you know, a lot of spiritual people, not, I don't want to say like spiritual people, but, um, a practice of living a more spiritual life can be, you know, kind of eating the same thing every day, wearing the same clothes every day, doing the same thing every day to kind of like dull those sensations, like the the novelty of life. And when I see that, I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a like novelty seeker or like new thing. I love trying new foods and like, I love all that. And so to try to find the balance there and to realize that like seeking that thing can be, uh, destructive destructive yeah because like you know in some ways it's like curiosity killed the cat so it's like trying all the things you know we talk a lot about how i really like living right on that edge where it's like a little wild you know but and to see things that not everyone sees Mm -hmm. um i had kind of a wild story from last weekend but then it's like some people fall off that cliff tell the story so you fell off a cliff. Uh, I'm going to tell the version of it. I'm going to tell it's, this is all truth. Internet version. So internet version. Um, basically we went up to Vancouver to see Eckhart Tolle, who's one of my favorite spiritual writers. And, uh, so I'm picturing quiet Vancouver weekend. Well, we have this friend in Vancouver who invites us to go to a rave. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I've never been to a rave before. I'm 33. So I'm like, okay. So we go to this rave and I just like to see, this is the writer in me. I love to see like a weird scene, you know, somewhere where that's like not my life. Like I have never been to a rave. I don't, you know, it's like this whole little subcultural group. Yeah. And it's people watching. The theme was where the wild things are. So people are in costumes and, you know, it's just this whole thing. And I love how when you walk into one room, a certain kind of behavior is acceptable if you walk into another room, a completely different kind of behavior is acceptable, you know? So we're sitting outside and uh, just getting some fresh air. And this guy takes out a vial and taps out some powder on his knuckle and snorts it right next to me. And uh, I was like, oh, I've been watching so much vinyl lately. I feel like I've been seeing that every two seconds because on the show Vinyl, the guys... Are just- is that a good show? It's a great show. Okay. I've been, I've been thinking I would enjoy it. Yeah. So he has like this major Coke problem. So he's like, snorting Coke all the time. And the guy next to me just goes, well, that was ketamine, not Coke, just so you know. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> As if that's better. I mean, and I'm just like... It was just so funny. He's like, I want you to know... I'm snorting, you know, and I, I've never done Coke in my life because I'm literally, there's one episode of, uh, of what's it called? Uh, intervention that made me be like, I don't need a Coke habit, you know, because you know, you have an addiction. Cause I know that I have an addiction. So like, I'm just like, so I've never done Coke. I've never done ketamine. Like, but to this guy, he wanted to make sure that I knew that he was doing ketamine and not Coke, you know, that mattered to him. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I love those. I love seeing that that is a reality for someone that there's, I love seeing all the different rooms of life, yeah. you know? And so that sensation seeking that like, 
the novelty. Like I, I want to always be seeing new things. And I think that there's a part of that that is good because I love, it's a part of loving life, mm-hmm. you know, but then there's a part of that can, that can be kind of uh, ego seeking or just, I mean, I think that that kind of like seeking as a way, you know, and uh, a lot of spiritual teachers talk about that where you're constantly going after the next thing. It's like, it's being okay without it. Yeah. Without needing that because that can be what leads people to drugs. Like I was listening to someone who was talking about quitting drugs and they're like, you know, a lot of people who quit drugs are afraid their life will be boring. And he's like, you know what? It is more boring. Right. It's not as wild and exciting, but on the other side of wild and exciting is, uh, stability is yeah it's stability like you know what's kind of wild and exciting wondering what the hell you did last night but also doesn't feel that great when you're like hey uh you know i have a sore on my privates (laughs) one time i woke up and i was like god i was like my hip really hurts and my best friend i was like god I, i don't know what the hell i did she's like are you joking me right now i had gotten up on the bar on a moving party bus because you know safe safe safety first he hit the brakes as you do in a moving vehicle and i have a friend who cannot tell the story without like almost peeing her pants laughing she's like you flew i mean flew across the bus hit the door which thank god the safety mechanism was in place or I would have flown out the door and we'd be like, remember Paulette who died (laughs) and then like slid down into the stairwell. And then when they said that, I was like, Oh, I do have one snapshot in my brain of looking up at everybody, like looking down at me in the stairwell being like, Oh my God, you know? (laughs) And, uh, my friend, uh, on a recent trip, like got way too drunk. She went to a party with free drinks. And whenever someone else does that, I'm just kind of happy. It's not me doing it. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not the drunkest one, but you know, that's something that I did get over. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm an alcoholic, you know, but I definitely treated social, what I know now to be social anxiety and anxiety in general with alcohol when I was in, you know, college and, Right. It just wasn't good. Well, that's another factor is social social anxiety is is another personality trait of someone with a addictive personality. So, so you just, you just hit on it. Yipes. Let's just check these off. Yeah. But yeah, sensation seeking, you're, you're describing it really well for some people. They are like you and will say, wow. Okay. If, if a little bit of booze makes me feel good, a lot of a lot of booze is going to make me feel really good. If if being drunk feels good and dancing feels good, well, being drunk and dancing on top of a bar will feel good. Being and if that feels good, then in a moving van will feel even better, mm-hmm. and flying through the air will feel even better. And so it, it's sort of this amping up of seeking new, more intense sensations, right? And honestly, I was having this experience where, you know, I got my name was published in the New York Times, like reached this level that I've always wanted to reach. And one day I was having not like a panic attack, but I was having a really anxious day. And I was like, oh, okay, like no level that I get to in my writing or no country that I can travel to or, you know, there's no like sensation that will fix this. Right. Which was kind of a scary place to be. Right. But it's like. 
it's not, I think when you feel internally kind of bad, you go outward for something to make you feel better. And all these things that release dopamine, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like anything that releases dopamine in your brain can be something you become addicted to because there is that little good feeling, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, right. So you're hitting on a lot of, a lot of the qualities of a, an addictive personality. Also, the a difficulty delaying gratification. That Oreo, uh, what was it, experiment. Right. I always think about that. Yeah, right. So some people, be based on their environments or their biology, have a much easier time delaying gratification. They can say, well, I, I'm not going to have uh, that, you know, celebratory ice cream cone until I do blank. Mm-hmm. And other people, they can't delay. It's like, I must have the ice cream. That's you know? me. Yeah. So bad. So this Oreo experiment, they gave a child an Oreo and said, I'm going to leave the room. If you wait 10 minutes, I'll give you, to eat this Oreo, I'll give you two Oreos. And the kids that like ate the Oreo immediately, which would have been me, it, it's like this predictor for so many things in their lives they found. Right. Yeah. It's, it, they have a much higher prevalence of a lot of issues in life. Right. Also, a lack of coping skills. So someone lacks the ability to, you know, any other coping skill. Uh, I don't think you fit in this category, honestly, Paulette. Uh, but there are people who have uh, severe inability to cope, not because there's something wrong with them, but usually because of their life. For instance, they they don't know how to they they can't soothe themselves by talking to other people, or they can't soothe themselves by trying to relax, or they can't soothe themselves through any other way other than using some kind of compulsion to escape or to numb themselves. Also, lack of emotional regulation skills, low self esteem. Heightened focus on how they are perceived by other people. Mm. Is that is that you? I don't yeah, know. my friend, my friend and I were just talking about this the other day. Like, we both love each other, and we both have this problem where it's like, and I'm I'm getting so much better at this, which is really nice, you know. And being like realizing there are a lot of people I don't like, and that you're just gonna bump up against someone who like you're not their flavor. Yeah. You know, I'm not like bland gruel kind of person. I'm a very like You're a sensation seeker. I'm a sensation seeker. You know, but I'm I'm loud, I'm obnoxious, I like to cuss. I I'm a very specific kind of person, you know, and if someone is if that's not their flavor of human, I'm not going to be their favorite person, you know. Yeah. So my friend was telling me how like she's just like Oh, I feel like everyone hates me. And she's like, sometimes I'm just like, I have to leave this party. I don't, nobody likes me here, you know? And I'm just like, oh my God. But it's funny how other people can see you, but the way you see yourself is so different. Yeah. I don't know. Right. So being really focused on that, I think, leads to a lot of internal suffering, which leads to, you know, seeking some sort of solution. And often drinking or drugging or some kind of distraction can help with that. And also it can be what I found is if you feel like you're not valuable in some ways, you can be like the wild one, you know, like, oh, look at all these wild things I'm doing. That's and that's like a way that you perceive that you're bringing value to a situation. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Also, another factor is loneliness. If someone's lonely, that will lead to to addictions or an addictive personality 
it, you don't suffer from this, I don't think, Paulette, but if you can imagine someone being lonely and wanting to have some kind of contact with people, becoming compulsive with certain things can distract you from that uh, loneliness, right? Mm-hmm. Also, a value of nonconformity. So someone, interesting. someone who doesn't like to conform to social norms is more prone to addiction. You, you don't like to, perf- to conform yeah. to social norms. Mm-mm. You cuss, you like to push the envelope, and, uh, and so that's another factor. Um, also, people who are stressed, people who have stressful lives. Mm. This, this is one thing that I've come to realize in my older age is how the reasons why Kurt Cobain and Elvis and Amy Winehouse and all of these famous people became so problematic with substances, even though they had everything going for them. Mm-hmm. Because when I was a kid, I'd say like, well, you know, that's Kurt Cobain or, you know, that's Elvis or, you know, certainly everyone loves them. So why would they be stressed out? It seems like they'd be the least stressed people on the planet. As I get older and, and frankly, gain more power in life, I realize that power equals stress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the more power, the more responsibility you have, the more eyes on you, mm-hmm. the more stressed out you become. And albeit, you know, it, people get older, they should have more skills to cope with it. But there's a certain uh, uh, threshold that you just, no one can uh, handle. And a very effective way of eliminating that stress is to numb yourself Mm -hmm. through substances. And so when we put these pressures on individuals, they get into this loop where the only way they can cope is through those substances. You know, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse had problems with substances anyway to some extent, but you add in the grueling life of being on the road and all of those, just all the terribleness that happens in life, you know, when you're, when you're in a life like that, it's just, it, it, you need something to cope and people will turn to, to addictive behaviors to cope with it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Also being extroverted. I think you've been Mm -hmm. basically, if you're extroverted, you're more likely to have an addictive Mm. personality. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, also, and this is a big one. This is a big one. This, I want to mention this one last. It's basically an ongoing sense of suffering or discontent that needs to be soothed. So there are some people that have been abused or neglected or they, they suffer every day if they don't do something to alleviate that suffering. And when you, and when you suffer every day with sadness or self-esteem or anxiety and you're pretty much in a constant state of suffering, people will turn to various different solutions. And one of them can be substances or other kinds of distractions to get you out of that. And this is something I see clinically a lot. And uh, the solution is... And so a lot of people that end up in AA in these meetings, uh, like ongoing, have this condition, so to speak, this general condition of ongoing suffering and need meetings to rededicate themselves to sobriety every day. Otherwise their suffering will motivate them to uh, seek a temporary solution that leads to a long-term problem. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
so just running through this real quickly, there are disorders in the DSM that are associated with addictive personality like PTSD, depression, anxiety, and psychosis. Let me ask you, Paulette, uh, the next factor of family of origin experiences. What family of origin experiences do you think are associated with developing Mm -hmm. an addictive personality? I've mentioned some already. Abuse. Abuse, good. Neglect. Neglect. Isolation, Mm. uh, basically neglect. Uh, And parents who are addicts. Mm. So if you Mm -hmm. witnessed family members using substances or other kinds of addictive behavior as a coping mechanism, you learn by example through modeling that that's how you deal with your problems. Mm -hmm. You know, mom comes home after a stressful day and she's like, oh, so God, the work, I need a drink. Mm -hmm. Well, if you see that, that gets into your head. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. You know, it's it's quite a powerful learning thing. Um, Environmental factors or life circumstances uh, is another factor, like I mentioned, stress and grief. When you are going through a, a loss, the... Uh, temptation to use an addictive process to cope with the grief goes up. And it it might even be somewhat functional to some extent, but it can become dysfunctional. And what do you think are some protective factors, some factors that protect us from developing addictive personalities? Mm, Strong social support. Good. Social support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Strong families and good social relations. So you really hit it on the on the head. You really hit the nail on the head on that one, Paulette. All right. Well, what's the final word on addictive personality? I like what you provided, uh, Paulette. You, I didn't realize you had an addictive personality, so yeah. I think that, that was useful. But what's the final word on this? Ugh. My theory is just like handle your shit. You know, like know what your shit is and handle it. Know so, thyself and do something. Know thyself and do something. So, for example, I know someone who grew up with alcoholic parents who's like a total just like doesn't want to deal with life. Everyone's against him. You know, it's like, yeah, you had alcoholic parents, but like handle your shit, you know, like now you're an adult and you have to deal with your own, like that's your thing to deal with. You know, that's your cross to bear, but you got to like do something about it. Right. So if you have an addictive personality, you have to know about that. It's like me where like, I'm just like, I never, I'm never going to try Coke because I know I don't want a Coke problem, you know, and I know that I have an addictive personality. So it's just adjusting your life to handle it. And it can, the, the thing is that if you look at that list of personality traits, those people can seem really fun. So it seems like, Oh, everything's fine, whatever, you know? And then it's like, but so I think if you have an addictive personality to know it and to do what you need to do to handle it as much as you can, you know, I mean, I don't know. Does that sound okay? Does that sound regular? That sounds regular. The only thing I'll add to that is for, People who are suffering, which I think people with addictive personalities often are suffering, there are other ways of reducing that suffering other than using addictive processes. There are obviously getting therapy. There are mindfulness techniques. There are taking care of yourself techniques. There are relational techniques of finding people who love you and uh, care for you and you care for them in real ways, in functional ways. There's human touch and, you know, cuddling with your pals and your partners and your family members. These kinds of things that we deny ourselves can can actually soothe us and actually make it so that our bodily processes, nervous system processes are such that we don't need to distract ourselves 
with some kind of addictive process. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Do you cuddle as a... Oh, I cuddle as a spiritual practice. That's right. All the time. Oh, great. Good. I'm a huge cuddler. Good. And I think, yeah, like filling... I'm reading this book super better right now. Have you heard of this? Mm. Oh, man. We got to talk about it. Um, I'm really liking it. And she talks about filling yourself, filling your life with positive experiences, these little positive experiences. I really like that idea, you know, and building building your life for success and remembering all these things that our culture has completely forgotten. You know, the joy I've been cooking a lot this week and like, I just, I love cooking. I love the joy of like dealing with real food and it's just this small joy to me, you know, but it's so real and I like connecting with the real because I don't know if you already have an addictive personality and then this world we live in is so like plastic and disconnected and, so much of our humanity is stripped out of it that it's like kind of no wonder people are trying to medicate themselves to feel again, you know? So I think doing a lot of little really real experiences and having a conversation and like taking a walk in the woods, like connecting back with our humanity is so important. Cuddling. Beautiful. That does it for another episode of psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.